Welcome Pathfinders to the Find the Path podcast actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path. After party 64. Dun dun dun. A nice divisible by two number, which makes my little programmer brain happy. There you go. I was waiting for Jordan to make a uh, 64 joke again, which I think he tried once before and it didn't land. Is that Tyrant's Grasp, I think? Ah, uh, who knows? I want to say, I think he said some like, now we're in 3D and no one got it. Oh, that I, I, I remember making that joke. Okay. Yeah. We got it. It just wasn't funny. <laughs> I remember, Everybody's I remember so mocking mean to me. that joke. <laughs> the Nintendo 64, man. <laughs> We're getting up to the point where we just make the same jokes over and over, so hopefully you guys still laugh at them after it's been like a year since we made the same jokes. It's like we can't remember what we said. We definitely don't remember what we said, and the same stimuli gives the same response, apparently. Just wait until we get to another 13, and I'll make a Triskaidekaphobia joke again. But that's not this one. You just like saying that word. Triskaidekaphobia? I did. Yeah. It's a fun word to say. It's, it's a like Rexacorphalibatorius, you know? Yes. So, yeah, when last we had left our heroes... Uh, we have just finished episodes 190, 191, and 192, which had been the kicking off point for book six of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path. We're in the home stretch. Yeah. I know. It's so crazy. Yeah, we'd started off uh, book six, Pyramid of the Sky Pharaoh, and actually even got to get into the pyramid, although that was a little bit later. With uh, Well, in 189, we left off teasing the upcoming fight against some giant scorpions, and 190 was said fight with some giant scorpions. Yep. And what they refer to in the book as the Black Scorpion Gauntlet. The gauntlet. The gauntlet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, they were yep. nothing to mess at. I mean, we were getting lucky with the uh, the fort saves, but we saw from, like, you know, Masika getting poisoned. Those guys were messing her up. It, it reminded me of the really bad Clash of the Titans remake, which wasn't as bad as it could have been, where they, you know, have to fight the gigantic scorpions, and he, like, is eaten by one and, like, stabs his way out. Yes. Exactly like that. Except for this one, we actually had the clockwork animal companion and not <laughs> dismiss it, yeah. much to the chagrin of many fans. I know, that was mean. Although I don't think Narmer did much in that fight. <laughs> he was a great cheerleader, as always. He had to stay in the bag, because there was electricity everywhere. There was, was a lot bad. of electricity. Yeah. He, he was in his bag doing his whole cheerleader routine, you know? We, we knew yeah. it was happening. I like to think that he was in the bag, just like sticking his little head up, just enough to see out of the bag. You know, oh, that's how at the I always picture it when Narmer's in the bag. It's one yeah. of those, <laughs> the zippers open just enough so he can see what's going on. Yep. The, the weird part about it is for him to have his like eye actually showing up, he has to have like half his face up because of how <laughs> like, you know, the, the fish mouth kind of goes. Yep. But I like to think that he's just kind of sticking his head out and all the rest of that looking over at the scorpions, just like petting Stinger Jr. Shoon, shoon. <laughs> <laughs> Like a giant rad scorpion. He's going to be the villain in the next AP. <laughs> Look for that on, uh, what is it, Pathfinder Infinite? Is that the online thing? Yes. Yeah. Something Look like for that. Heather's uh, Narmer, the, the main antagonist, Pathfinder Infinite adventure. What? No. Sean. <laughs> 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 the PCs have all been shrunk down to the size of an ant. But yeah, you guys got to fight some uh, black scorpions, which is just neat. Yep. Yeah, their poison was messed messed you up though, because it's all three yeah. of your physical stats. That's awful. It was really crazy poison. You guys were pretty fortunate. Yeah, one, it only hit Masika, and that two, Masika had a means by which to remove the uh, the effects of it rather quickly thereafter. Yeah. Yeah, because what's the uh, what's the actual save? Because I know we didn't actually have to make the save on it. Is it like consecutive saves? Let's see. Injury sting, uh, fortitude save DC twenty seven. 
Uh, frequency once around for six rounds for 1d4 points of strength, dexterity, and constitution requires three consecutive saves. Three saves? Oh my god. Three DC 27 saves. That's what neutralized poison is for. Yep. Yeah, and then uh, the rapid sting is just ridiculous because, of course, it could sting you twice in a row and then double poison you, at which point the DC for that goes up to a 29. Yep. Yeah, because just looking at our, our med kit, like we got lots of healing and a bunch of stuff to bring us back from the dead, uh, but we have a singular antitoxin. <laughs> Well, and the so, crazy thing about that is like that antitoxin isn't going to remove it. It just gives you a bonus on the next save. Yeah. yeah. I will say, though, looking at this, um, we need to start playing some Senate. Because we're in the home. Oh, stretch. do we still have uh, Senate uses? Left? We still have five five game uses out of it. So no like, we need to play some Senate, guys. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, here we go. This will be the final book. We'll finally play all the Senate. It's that thing where we did that thing that you always do in the video games, where you collect all the Phoenix yep. Downs, and then you have like ninety nine of them at the end of the boss fight, and you're like, "What do I do with this?" Oh, it's uh, it's cottages and uh, mega elixirs. Yeah. Yeah. You never use those ever. You never use them. Even in the final boss fight, I feel bad using them. <laughs> Y'all play differently than I play. No, conserve my resources forever. Uh, Yeah, so following that, however, you guys jumped into 191, which was all of you entering into the Crypt of Fire. Technically, you opened the door to the Crypt of Fire at the end of 190, at which point you jumped from part one of book six to part five of book six, because (laughs) it's in no specific order. (laughs) Uh, Welcome welcome to the the sandbox, I guess. It's weird to consider a pyramid a sandbox, but, you know. It's in a sandbox. Ha! I mean, technically a giant sandbox, yeah. yeah. The world's largest sandbox as far as Galarian's concerned. But yeah, you bypassed the trap that was on the front door to that, which was the uh, the Baylor's Wrath trap. Baylor's so what would that what would that have done Ooh. if we had triggered it? Uh, let's see. It's a blast of superheated air that does fire damage and a reflex save. It's a 60-foot cone. Oof. Oh, jeez. And yeah, and then once you guys got inside, you entered into the uh, the Isle of Fire, at which point you fought the Mockeries of Raw. Those things were awful. Which are Toffets. They're really neat. Awful. I keep hearing like the Little Miss Moffat uh, like, <laughs> poem in my head because they're called Toffets. Well, and, and Toffet <laughs> sounds like kind of a cutesy name for something, and then these things are horrible. Yep. That's true. They do seem really cute, but they're obviously not. Even their art no. looks kind of cute and derpy. They're, they're very derpy. They're like, very derpy looking yeah. bird people things. But uh, yeah, they like to swallow you and jump in lava, so that's less cute. I'm just saying <laughs> the uh, the the uses of uh, was it Citra's unfettered? You have the unfettered shirt. Unfettered shirt, like yeah. Yeah, and then the uh, the ring of freedom of movement, which we only I only knew to use because we had uh, identified them from afar. Yeah, thankfully. Yeah. Like that could have like because if anybody besides Hollis had gone in, you're dead. Like, there's pretty much no way you'd get out. I'm glad it was just me. Uh, yeah, because sure. I don't think any of us had a way to get out without clawing our way out and then ending up in a bunch of lava. Well, yeah, because what it is is that you go from taking half of 20d6. If you break out, now you're just taking 20d6. Yeah, I'm the assuming old... the lava can't be that deep, though, because otherwise you're toast. It's 10 right? feet deep. Ugh, so when they jump in, they jump in, their heads are just barely beneath the surface of it. Yeah, but lava itself is very viscous, so I mean, you you could get to the surface. It yeah, just it would. Well, burn yeah, I mean, you could swim out, but that's still like a ton of damage you're gonna take yeah. on you know the next turn after you escape. Yeah, there's a Ooh. there's a neat thing with them because um, you know they swallow whole. Once you're swallowed by it, you take no damage, but are trapped inside of it. Um, the construct's maw locks down to prevent creatures from climbing out, and uh, you can 
break your way out as normal, but it has uh, hit points equal to one-tenth of its actual hit points plus its bonus hit die for being a construct, which means that you have to do 40 points of damage to break your way free. Ooh, yikes. Uh, as a fun side note, alternatively, a swallowed creature can attempt to pick the lock on the iron hatch in the Toffet's stomach by making a DC 30 disabled device check. I mean, the problem is that's going to take you one <laughs> d three rounds, though, right? Yeah. yeah, depending on the individual. Oof. So, still, still not good odds of getting out, considering how much damage it was doing. Yeah. Yeah, but it ended up being a pretty interesting fight, since uh, I mean, Hollis spent most of it inside of a a toffet and then getting free and kind of flying around. But it's true. Sudi and Citra managed to do a great deal of uh, of damage to their various targets and. Masika enacted some uh, pretty capable battlefield control as far as occupying two of them for most of the fight. Here, yeah, let me turn this cool. into a swamp. It's okay. <laughs> it was a hot swamp. One of those uh, New Orleans swamp situations. Yep. Hot and sticky. So, uh, yeah, there's actually, yeah, yeah. There's another thing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to bring this up maybe in the next after party once you guys are done with this portion of the dungeon. So mm. following that, though, you guys uh, you guys successfully defeated them. Hollis teleported out to safety. None of you were actually, I think, even really that badly injured. Actually, I think uh, uh, Citra took quite a beating in that fight. But by the time the fight was over, you guys were pretty good again. Yeah, because like I got yeah. big uh, and then suddenly they were like, oh, you're no longer a target, which yeah. was yeah. not what I intended. I intended them to keep hitting me. But yeah, because they can only swallow whole medium sized creatures. Yeah, yeah so that was that was unintentionally like good quote unquote for me as far as getting hit point damage, but bad for everybody else. Well, you were kind of centrally located though, so it was easy for us to kind of like just flank it, flank it, flank it because of where you were. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so. and that's the thing is like you know at this high a level, like if you're if you're not helping your rogue get in the flank as a as a frontline fighter, like they're gonna far out damage you, and that's a good thing. <laughs> So my, my whole point in that fight was like, okay, I just need to get in position so the Citra can get a full attack action. Yeah, because I pretty much go from being able to do a max of 11 points of damage to averaging, what, 30 to 40? 30 to 40, damage. typically, yeah. yeah. And that's why people say that rogues are bad. It's like, no, you just have to be in a party that'll cooperate yeah. with you, and then you're going to murder everything. Yeah, ro rogues are a teamwork centric yeah. class so like it, we even had it where uh, we played with a slayer and a uh, rogue, I was just about to bring that up me and Heather wrecked face. Both of them oh, had yeah. rogue talents and sneak attack and both of them had opportunists so at, at one point it was basically every fight came down to like either one round because they would slaughter everything because they you know the opportunists going off and back and forth yep. or it would just become a slog because they couldn't flank it like that was pretty much like the two options yeah. of how that party worked yep Yep. Also, stealth synergy, which is a great combination there. Oh, yeah, that helped a lot. Yeah, you guys finished that fight. Um, you made your way down to the furnace. Uh, after you guys saw the little slip and slide uh, grease trap that you managed to get by, that wasn't really even like necessarily a trap. But... First, first off, bravo <laughs> for putting like the most mundane, most effective trap that you could have had because it's like I love the clever. fact that that was not complicated. That was just dead simple. Like yep. you just banana peel into the lava. Very clever. And then. Uh, you close the, uh, well, technically the beginning of the next episode, you close the portal to the elemental plane of fire. Which, yeah, that was a thing. There's just a portal. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Because why not? Gotta keep it real hot, I guess. Sure. We're in the age where apparently that was not even that big of a deal, you know? Like, hey, <laughs> yeah. we need to keep this place warm. Why don't we just open a portal to the plane of fire? No big deal, right? Yeah, It was logical. still a big deal, but, you know, Hockatep, as he is, uh, 
as has become more and more prevalent as you've gone along, is a you know, master of primarily elemental summonings. He's very extra. Yeah. He's also very extra, yes. I mean, a lot of that's just a sec. But just a sec is also very extra. I was going to say, I feel like that's the two of them feeding on each other, of being like, huh, how could we solve this problem? Well, you know, I could build this contraption that could probably generate enough energy with the given electricity. Why don't we just open a plane? Oh, I love that. Open the gate. (laughs) Yeah, that's so much simpler. (laughs) I can see these kinds of conversations going back and forth with them getting excited about, like, how they can use magic and clockwork stuff to, like, just solve ridiculous, overly complicated problems. You know the the giant golems that swallow people and jump into a thing of lava is just a sex. Oh, no, 100%. 100%. That's 100%. Yeah, that feels like something like a 12-year-old draws on the back of their, like, school book or something like (laughs) that. Because it's funny. That's the thing. like Outside of the context of the game, that is hilarious. (laughs) That they just, like, swallow you whole, jump in, and just let you boil. Like, that's hilarious. That's the kind of thing a 12-year-old boy would think is hilarious. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, you guys uh, close the fiery furnace uh, without taking any dexterity damage, which is something that can happen. Oh, really? Oh, if you uh, if you if touch you don't, it, yeah, if you touch it, uh, if okay. you come into physical contact with it, even with fire resistance, it is so hot that it causes dexterity damage because it burns you so badly. Yeah. Gracious. So that's why Citra didn't really want to get near it, but you know, got to do what you got to do. After that, you guys went through uh, the three trapped uh, circular chambers. Yep. Two, uh, two sunburst traps followed by the uh, the Thousand Suns trap, which was basically a uh, firestorm. Yeah. Which, yeah, cra- was... crazy amount. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to think about, like, these, these are so powerful that even the most powerful spells that protect you from fire won't really do a whole lot. By the time you, if you went through, like, all of those, you're blind and then you're just, you're toasted unless you have, I guess, protection from energy would probably do, be fine. You could absorb all it with that. I was going to say, even even docking 30 points off of damage is still doing a lot. Uh, really, that one only messed up Masika so badly because of her ice body spell. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which would have been great if you guys were in the cold dungeon. Mm. <laughs> well, nobody expects the fire traps in the fire temple because... You guys decided to go to the fire temple first. That wasn't my choice. <laughs> it's true. We, yeah. we, needed, we needed to go to the easy temple first, but we just didn't do that. I would have had you go in order of the maps that I made and not skip three maps. Well, we oh. like to make your life challenging. Theoretically, we didn't know what door we were going into. We could have been <laughs> walking into whichever one it's you true. put us in. So that's on you. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. You chose to go on one of the facings, and each of the doors can- corresponds to a face and also an altitude on the side of the building. So once I started doing the description, it kind of needs to flow where it is. There's a lot of the fans to would it. know. Some of them might. Uh, But yeah, then you entered into the Shrine of Offerings. You talked to a couple of statues and there was a very long debate about perfume. And it was really, (laughs) literally, it's just not in here. We have to go find it. It's okay. It's one of those times where like, okay, so there's, there's, there's two instances in this, uh, this area where we overcomplicate the bejesus out of it. And one was the perfume thing about, is it perfume? No, let's try this. Let's try that. Maybe we can make something think it's perfume, all that stuff. And the second time was after we took the flowers we put it in and we got the, the pedestal down and it was the two like uh, walls of force. And we were like, okay, so can we shimmy through? Can we jump through all this stuff? And it's like, and then it's just like, wait, Hollis just uses mage hand and just grabs it. Yeah, mage hand. Yeah. Like there's two, we're just like in a complicated mood of like, it can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. 
it's that we we go into paranoid adventurer overdrive where we're yes. like whatever we need must be in the immediate vicinity because we can't leave anything at our back you know sort of thing and it and i think we just got caught in a spiral <laughs> i just figured that the thing would be nearby just to make it easier for them to get through this room while they were making it yeah, so. I, maybe know. they had like a bypass or something well, that know. or they would have known what what they needed to bring, so they could have brought it from, yeah, the storeroom Wherever. or outside the pyramid or whatever, you know. Either way, now we know that our info is somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, you saw the vision of the Nosferatu using a vial of perfume, so you know at the very yeah. least he yeah. has a vial of perfume somewhere. I've and already cast is here, this. Uh, this character is uh, another version of Willem Dafoe, just because of how oh. he well he did in the Nosferatu movie. Yeah. <laughs> He has a decanter of endless perfume. No double casting. I know. I mean, a decanter of endless perfume, if it stayed as perfume, you can make a lot of money. I mean, you probably just stabilize some economies with it, but you know. What's that other actor that always gets mistaken for Willem Dafoe? Somebody gets mistaken for Willem Dafoe? He's very distinct. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought too. Christopher Walken? No, because Christopher Walken is Christopher Walken. Well, I'm just thinking of people that have that same vibe. Oh, Dennis Leary. Dennis, Dennis Leary. Leary. Yes. Yeah. I remember an interview with him where he said he's routinely mistaken where people are like, I loved you in Spider-Man. And he's like, freaking. <laughs> now, actually, he was in Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield. He was uh, Gwen Stacy's dad. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we need but to cast him one. as one of the devil lords, though, because yes. he's such a d- Yep. <laughs> But yeah, you guys, uh, you managed to make your way through, well, partially through the Shrine of Offerings before you passed the lava pool and you reached the red door and then tried a couple things on the door and then went back to the the shrine and tried a couple more things there and then said, screw this, and went back and circled around to the west wing of the, the dungeon. And we left off with uh, all of you in a room full of a variety of people shackled to statues of Anubis. Horrifying. Sobbing. Yep. Awful. Sobbing. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not looking forward to what awaits us. Also, I just guess as a side note, um, apparently, ju- judging by the numbering system, they assumed that you would have gone that way first also. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, they, they, <laughs> they got to name it in the happy path, right? Yep. Well, we're just doing everything opposite. It's opposite day in Osirian. <laughs> I forget what the principle is, but like most people will choose to go right if given a left or right choice. They choose right because they're right-handed. I choose right reason. because my name is Rachel and it starts with R. What? Yeah, but like apparently there's been like studies and <laughs> like in game design and stuff like that's a thing that people do is they will choose yeah. to go right most of the time. And so like it's not from the entrance of this place, it is to the right to go to this west hallway. So we just did the opposite and it didn't work out. My problem with game design, and I don't carry this over to tabletop role playing, is I will go, this is the obvious path that I should go. I'm going to go down what is obviously the wrong path because that's yes. where they hide the treasure. That's, yeah, yeah, that's where the secrets and the unlockables yep. and all that is, yeah. It's, uh, I think it was Final Fantasy 13 was the absolute worst about it, where every time you start a new section of that game, in the first part of the game, I never finished it, but every time you start a section of the game, immediately turn completely around, walk the opposite direction, and there's the hidden treasure chest that they put behind you at the beginning of every section of that game. Mm. And I don't know I know why. there's a couple of those in Donkey Kong. So, yeah, and then I guess whenever we start things back up, we'll see if you guys can finish the Crypt of Fire in the next three episodes, which should be exciting. There's an Osferatu down here. I'm excited. Yeah. An Osferatu assassin. <laughs> hey, he's undead. We're pretty good at the, at handling those guys. Yeah. There you go. So we got that going for us, which is nice. 
be a lot more dangerous if it was a vampire the masquerade Nosferatu though oh yeah obfuscation and yep. just trotting around doing whatever mm-hmm. he wants start yep. sicking swarms of rats on you I mean we can't rule that out <laughs> there being one more swarm in this adventure there why not be. a fireproof swarm of rats what was their third Ew. discipline fortitude I think yeah yeah, so I suppose this is normally the part of the after party that we read uh, questions from uh, from all of you wonderful listeners that you've written in. And uh, while we do have a collection of, uh, of emails that we're going to be eventually getting through, this after party is a little special. As this after party is actually, at the time of the release of it, our four-year anniversary for yeah. the Mummy's Mask actual play for this podcast in general. Which is wild, y'all. I know. Yep. I can't so congratulations, crack out the bubbly. Woo! Yay! Everyone, yeah. Yeah, more energy. Yay. <laughs> I was trying <laughs> not to beat the microphone. So hard not to That's why I was leaning mic. back from the mic, people. We've Come learned on. a lot in four years, Rick, and you always yell at us for peeking the mic. After four years, they're just exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably that too. I will say though that like for four years of work, this is this felt like it went pretty fast. Like, it did, yeah. Even though this I'd is like the so. longest we've ever played like an adventure path that's taken us to beat it, like it doesn't feel like you know looking back like it's been four years. Like it doesn't feel that long. Before no. recording, it took us usually about a year, give or take. Yeah. Year and a half. Yeah, year year and a half, depending on schedule. Depends and on yeah how many sessions we missed and. We could have finished four APs if we weren't making this podcast, guys. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so know that we love you. <laughs> so appreciate that, audience. <laughs> appreciate this, yes. So, yeah, it was uh, it was April 23rd was when uh, iTunes approved our first episode, and that went up on the feed. And then our other two episodes followed the 30th, I believe. So a week after that, four whole years. And so we decided to reach out to our Discord for questions that they had for the podcast. And they didn't disappoint. So I've got a couple of those, and I figured that will take up uh, probably most of the rest of this recording as we if we go back, reminisce, consider some things. So you guys ready to answer some uh, some listener mail from the listeners that we would have never assumed we would have had it when, had when we started this four years ago? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yes. All right. So let's go ahead and start this with Topper Harley, who writes in and asks, looking back over the four years of creating the podcast. What about it was harder or easier than you thought it would be? Mic work is dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Microphone (laughs) etiquette is Heather's. Honestly, I would say the opposite. Because for me, like, I remember, like, the mic etiquette and stuff was really hard when we first got started. But now, like, I don't even think about it. Get on and start talking and stuff. And I don't think about the fact that, like, I need to throw my head back when I laugh or that I need to, like, you know, make sure my, my mouth is directly touching this uh, or pointing Front towards addressing the, microphone. the microphone yeah like i don't think about that anymore like i just kind of internalized it it's actually gotten comfortable and easy to talk to random people like like we're doing right now like it doesn't feel weird anymore like it also kind of felt weird to just say hi audience when like there's nobody there on the <laughs> other end and i guess we've just i've gotten more comfortable with just talking to myself <laughs> that yeah. makes me yeah. sound like a crazy person i think the hardest thing is just Finding the time to consistently record. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, that's probably been the hardest part is keeping up with a release schedule for four years straight. Harder than anticipated. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because life happens, right? Well, it was a lot easier when we just had the one show. It's true. That's fair. (laughs) It was a lot easier when it was just Mummy's Mask. (laughs) Mine is probably not as 
I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm not going to try to justify it. Sometimes I find it really hard to sit for long periods of time because when you're not recording, I could like stand up. I could go get a drink. I could go get a snack. And I am a tennis player, so I suffer from lots of injuries. So sometimes sitting here for extended periods of time is very difficult. Mm. <laughs> so uh, that was harder than I expected. Rachel's paying for her art. I was going to say, it's, just, <laughs> yeah. it's especially when it's a double recording day where we, we're yeah. going to be sitting for two hours, have a little break, then sit for another two hours. Like, yeah. that that's pretty rough. Yeah. Although I'm I'm a professional at it since I'm I'm a pencil pusher head of, you know, at a company, so. Yeah, yeah, but I also have, like, a standing desk, but I can't be like, you know, <laughs> here, y'all could probably hear this on a, you know, I can't wow, be you having can really, that Yeah, you can sound. actually really hear that. Yeah, yeah, I can't have that going on where, like, recording be like, hold on, guys, I got to stand up, like. Because then you know you just have Rick just like just doing the 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 Picard face palm the whole time like yeah. oh, I have to edit that out afterwards. And I live with him, so I'd hear about it. You would, yeah. I mean, I would say honestly, the the one thing that was harder than I actually thought it would be, and that was even after my research, was the uh, the sheer amount of editing. And you can of course go light on that, but that was a little bit more intensive than I initially anticipated. Easier than I thought it would be would is almost a cheat saying, but how easy it was to fall in the trap of always wanting more audio equipment. Like mm. everyone oh I've gosh, ever known yes. that does audio stuff is like, or if is in a band, it's just like you just want it. You're, you're like, I don't even necessarily want to use this, but yeah. I want to have this for the one occasion I need to use this. So I constantly see things and I'm like, I want more stuff. And we've all turned into audio snobs a little bit. Sometimes we'll be watching oh, a YouTube Lord, yes. video and we're all like, oh, this audio is terrible. And I'm yeah. bad about it at the podcast, that I, the true crime podcast I listen to at work. There's a few that have really good reviews that I just can't listen to. Yeah. Mm. I just can't. Because mm -hmm. it, if it gets better, it's okay. Like sometimes if it's bad, like if the audio quality is bad at the beginning, I'll skip forward like 10, 15 episodes. And yeah. if it's better, yeah. I'll go back and just like, suffer through it Power but if through. I skip forward that long and it's still bad I can't I can't do it it is somewhat painful for me to go back and listen to some of our early stuff oh yeah because I'm like yeah ah. and we tried real hard but we tried. I mean audio is an art form part of the problem <laughs> at the very beginning was that we weren't in like a really like sound room we were in Justin Jordan's game room, room which was a very <laughs> wide open space and well and it was the the thing like back in the day like right now we have permanent setups in all of our offices and everything like yeah. it was we got together a little bit before we set up all the audio equipment we would record everything and then we would take it all back down yeah and yeah. like we didn't put up sound paneling we didn't kind of fly by the seat of our pants you know kind of doing it but you know what four years later here we are you can tell when the switch was which is very close to when we launched our uh, our patreon was when we suddenly yeah. had like dedicated recording spaces. <laughs> yeah. So after that, we have a question from Loki the Poisoner. Hey, Loki. What's up, Loki? Loki writes in and says, what made you decide you wanted to make a podcast in the first place? Rick was like, hey, y'all want to do a podcast? And I said, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how I got in. <laughs> the thing for me was like, so the saga began, this whole like find the path began when we were making videos on YouTube. And I remember the videos were a pain, right? Because it's yeah. like, we had to get ready. Like, you had to be on camera. We had to go shoot it. We had to go edit it. You know, if it, we had like, uh, you know, Dean who was doing like special effects and stuff for some of the videos and like, yep. it was a lot of work. And then Rick was like, hey, you want to just do a podcast? Because we were recording some of our games that we were playing. You can still find on YouTube. So part of the reason behind that was one of the most common questions that we got on YouTube was, is there an audio only version of this? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we did. And I was like, I already listened to a couple of podcasts. I listened to a couple of podcasts that weren't gaming podcasts. 
And so then I started listening to some of the more popular actual plays out there. And I went, I think we're generally entertaining people. And uh, one of the most common complaints that I heard for a while were people talking about all these actual plays that use it as more of an improv setting and don't actually play the game so much as just use it as a way to facilitate improv. And I was like, we like to play the game. Yeah. We could do this. And in fact, yeah, but at the have. same time, we were also like, we don't know if we're all that funny or anything, you know, but we we're like, eh, we can give it a shot. You know, we make each other laugh. That seems like a good thing to do. We are the everyman. Hey, you know what? I used to make middle schoolers laugh, and that's not an easy feat sometimes. <laughs> I think I'm very funny. <laughs> I, 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 think I, I think I demonstrably am funny, but I a lot of times don't think I'm that funny. Hmm. Nothing's funnier than saying you're funny. It's true. <laughs> yep. If you tell people enough, they'll believe you. It's true. Yeah. Jess has that in, endless confidence. Hey, we all have our good moments. Rick just edits all of my bad moments out, so it looks like I've done practice stand-up. I don't really think I'm that funny. I just think I'm super sarcastic, and some people think some that's funny. Some people vibe funny, with that, so... though, man. Like, lots of people vibe with that. <laughs> yeah, I suppose uh, the, the long story short with that one was uh, we felt that there was a niche out there that we could neatly slide our way into. I suppose more accurately, I felt that there was a niche out there, <laughs> and then I said, hey, guys. He kind of just pulled us all he along. He kind of drugged the rest of us on. It was the same thing with the videos, though. We started doing the videos. It, yeah. it was like, hey, I'm, I'm thinking of doing these videos. Do you guys want to join in? And we were just like, sure. That's, I was like, that yeah. sounds like fun. Why not? You know, I've always <laughs> wanted to make videos. So cool. Also, the beauty of this is I don't have to write skits, which was what I was having to do before. And that was I mean, so crappy. Oh, my gosh. Yes. We used to write like, like not like scripts even, but we'd have like the little skits and stuff that we would yeah. do. Some yeah. of them were fun. Some yeah, were but fun. it was a lot more like prepared like yeah. stuff because you have to you have to go into recording like a video and stuff with like an idea of what you're going to do or else it just kind of becomes a nightmare yeah. to edit. And yeah. we eventually got back to that with our share memory series on our $10 tier on our Patreon. So if you do yeah, like those us, those aren't uh, skits. Those are stories. Those are way easier scripted. to write than yeah. skits. They're also dramatic readings, you know, from there, uh, rules, wizard Rose writes in and asks for those of you who play PFS or similar games here, what is the most memorable, memorable session that you've had? I do not play Pathfinder society. I play some Pathfinder Society. I've run a lot of Society on the on the Discord, um, but mostly I play a Starfinder AP every other Saturday on there. And uh, there was a session where we convinced the GM to let us do a side trip to Castrovel to do mind racing, and we basically just like shenan shenanigan ourselves around in the in the city, living like high rollers and like making money racing. It was really fun. Fun. <laughs> Um, I don't know if I've got like a specific thing, but every game bar none that I played on our discord has been like playing with friends. Like it's been that same vibe of like, you know, yeah, these aren't like the normal people, like their humor may be a little bit different, but like I enjoy playing with them. Just our community as a whole has been really fun to play with no matter what we're playing. So uh, we've mm -hmm. done like Jess has done APs. I do APs with some people, you know, we do some PFS type stuff. So yeah, no, it's been fun. Nice. Dizzy Dwarf writes. Where are all the mummies? In the tombs. <laughs> we're, we're, we're wondering that too, right? Are you They're in the pyramid mummy? that you've come to right now. They're all here. <laughs> they, yep. All They're of here. them for the last like four books have basically just been put in this pyramid. Well, there was Chess's sex mummy. We carried him around for a little bit. And there was. <laughs> and we fought uh, the ant. She was a mummy and the harpy yeah. mummies. And then the dinosaur was a mummy. Technically, the Technically. harpies Technically. and the dinosaurs were mummified creatures. It has the word mummy in it. It counts. That's fair. <laughs> Also, again, see this dungeon. Yeah. If you're looking for the mummies. <laughs> there's, been, there's been a kind of a buildup. Yeah. 
They're on the list. I will warn you that there is a mummy fight at the end of this book. What? That's such spoilers, Rick. How dare you? How dare you? this mummy's mask invention I can't believe exactly. you would keep that the mask we've been carrying around since, like, book two. Yep. When the reveal comes, you'll be real surprised. <laughs> Dr. Chapman writes in, hello, Doc. Anything about podcast gaming slash pandemic gaming that you plan to keep for private home games? First off, I'm going to laugh at the term private home games. <laughs> <laughs> what are those? I like digital maps. Finding Foundry especially was like my big like thing that I, I found that I really like from kind of remote gaming, you know, pandemic gaming, uh, because there are a lot of rules to, to Pathfinder and there's a lot of like minutia and having something that just kind of helps with that is super valuable, which coming from playing pen and paper, truly pen and paper with books in hand, you know, having things like archives of Nethys and some of those other kind of, you know, digital resources at hand is something I'd probably keep. Like if, I, if we went back to playing in person, I would probably keep a tablet just to like reference archives of Nethys on. I'm probably going to second that just because uh, I think everyone in uh, uh, our listeners knows I'm not good at math or maybe through the <laughs> magic of editing, I seem like I'm good at math, but I am magic. Uh, very consistently using a calculator. You know, and I don't give myself enough credit. There, There is some mental math I can do, but it, I'm slow. But I I really like with Foundry that a lot of times there are just simple buttons that you can click and it just automatically calculates. And I think that takes a lot of the, I don't know, I feel like it speeds it up a little bit. Like we're actually getting to the role play and we get to the fighting and we get to everything a little bit faster when we, I don't have to be like, uh, hold on, I have to add, you know, because I know that I do that. <laughs> well, and especially when it's like the big numbers, when it's like I'm rolling yeah. 15 D6 of something and just being able to hit the button and it gives you the number, yeah. like that's mm, nice. Because like true. that used to be like, uh, okay, okay, let's all like go get a snack and come back and we can find out what you roll. I mean, granted, it is cathartic to roll all the it dice. Is, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Is like I, I love rolling in person and I do miss that on some of our shows. <laughs> I actually have something that it's, it's going to be a little different from y'all's answer. The one thing for podcast gaming that I find interesting and you don't really get from a private home game and I would love if it was more so, when everyone settles in, they settle in to record to play this there That's isn't fair. somebody's pulling out their phone checking their phone there isn't hold on i've got to take this real quick oh i'm ordering pizza what does everyone mm. want i think minute for minute we get way more done in a two-hour recorded session than we would normally get done during a standard game because everyone is there everyone is engaged it's the vibe yeah this is like we're here to like play the game to all exclusion basically yeah, yeah. it's the focus yeah i mean i think that's that's true of podcasting in general is you have to have focus because I feel like yeah. if you don't have focus you're just going to kind of like just squirrel around and before you know it you've gone on a 20 minute tangent talking about like you know the latest Marvel movie or whatever and we kind of don't have the luxury of doing that so it does mean that we focus a lot because I know like I remember when we used to I used to GM a, a game in person and I could guarantee the first hour I would just not talk and just let Jess and her friend Sarah talk because they used to teach together and they would want to catch up on all the hot gossip <laughs> yeah. with teaching. So I would like the first hour before our session was just let them getting it all out so that I could sit yeah. down and actually play, you know. You put two teachers in a room, we're going to talk teaching. It's mm -hmm. true. Well, so. okay, it was two teachers and a deaf ed interpreter. So like it was 100% oh. yeah. talking about all the all the gossip and such. So, so Eagle King 64. Hey, 64. Hey! <laughs> nice. Writes in and says, how does it feel to not 
only be coming up on completing a campaign, but completing a campaign via podcast and telling a story for listeners every week. That's kind of a big deal. It feels weird. It is interesting. You guys can tell me whether or not you share this this sensation. I will say that this does feel different for me than finishing a lot of campaigns. And I think it's because we just hit the four-year mark with this campaign. Yeah. Completing a campaign, because usually, I think, as Heather said earlier on, we were usually finishing an Adventure Path a year. Mm-hmm, and so, yeah. in Rachel and Jordan's case both, these are characters that they have been playing nonstop for four years. Yep. Yep. Yep, yep. And the, the idea of having been carrying people through that story for that long is you know, somewhat staggering, really. Finishing adventure paths has always been very bittersweet, right? Because like you're ending an adventure, you're saying goodbye to these characters, and like that's gonna hit a whole lot different after four years than after like one year. Not only are y'all saying goodbye to these characters, but thousands of listeners are saying goodbye to these characters. Yeah. It's really interesting because this is also the part of the adventure path where you start to split, or I at least I do, start to split focus and thinking about what's next. And like I always discourage that. <laughs> thinking about and planning like what is the character for the next thing we're gonna play so it's kind of a weird like end of campaign thing for me at least all my characters have like a mindset that kind of go with them when we first started doing this like falling into like Sudi's mindset was like it took some effort it took some like remembering certain key phrases and things and now I, I can drop into Sudi's accent immediately I don't have to think about it dropping into that character and, and everything is like it's just effortless right now and mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of the same thing that I think a lot of people who've done like television shows for a number of seasons probably feel like, like that you're just kind of are that character a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so it's going to be really weird to kind of like just put that part of you aside. Yeah, because you've been doing it for years, right? Yeah, it is unique also because I know a lot of people don't finish campaigns. And I know that a lot of podcasts notoriously don't finish campaigns. Mm-hmm. And so it is kind of a big deal for us to have reached the end here. And uh, I'm very proud of the story that we've told. Again, I've considered going back and doing a complete re-listen once we're done. Even I to that early stuff. I can't listen to myself. <laughs> I just can't do it. I'm the same. Yeah, I'm the same way, Heather. I can't listen to myself. Am I the only one? I, I don't have a problem with it. You find yourself funny. <laughs> just as funny as before. Like, no, that's, I, the, the funniest part about things. it is I've listened to our episodes and I have made the exact same comments based oh, on other yeah. people's feedback. Like in real time as I'm listening to it. And then I find it hilarious that I said the same thing twice. But like, yeah, it's it's weird, man. So Dizzy Dwarf also asks, uh, kind of pertaining towards the same thing. Do you feel any pressure to have a big epic ending to this campaign? A little bit. <laughs> nah, the ending's always epic. I, I Yeah, I would say <laughs> don't worry. The story's always end in an epic ending, regardless of kind of how it is. Because like this is the tier of, you know, we're, we're very, very close to meteor swarms and, you know, power word kill and all kinds of stuff. But like, it's going to be a knockdown drag out fight regardless, just because of the nature of kind of the game and how it like, I've never done a final boss fight in an adventure path and been like, Oh yeah, no easy peasy cakewalk. No, no big deal. Right. Like it's always been like super tense, super like high pressure, like big risks, big rewards kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm actually so I'm not more worried. concerned about the epilogue, to be honest. <laughs> sure. Yeah. We're all, we're all just kind of like sitting there like, Oh God, what do we do after that? After I've got plans. See, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, like, how do, how do you wrap up a story in a nice, satisfying <laughs> bow for everybody? That's yeah. the, that's Rick's big challenge in the end of this. I've got plans. And again, I don't like, uh, in my view, there, there, there are two ways that shows tend to end things. And they're either 
over the top to the point that it feels out of flavor for the rest of the story that's happened till up that up to that point. I never watched Seinfeld, but from what I understand, a lot of people hated the Seinfeld finale because it then suddenly veered off into a completely different direction that didn't feel like the show anymore. Huh. And at the same time, I guarantee you, I'm not going to do a Sopranos where I cut off mid sentence and just play the ending music or something like that. (laughs) What I consider the quintessential ending to a show, Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm, The two-part finale for that was pitch perfect. And so if I can manage something like that, that kind of like encapsulates the entire feeling of the series and really does, uh, does justice to everything, I'll consider it to be a job well done. So I'm putting myself on that tier. Star Trek The Next Generation. You know what else has a really good finale? The Good mm. Place. Mm. Oh, yeah. The Good like, Place top was tier. excellent. Amazing. Yeah. So uh, in answer to your question, however, I do feel pressure. That's the that's the yes <laughs> part of it. We get to just show up and play characters. Rick has to do like the story work. <sighs> Heavy I was going to say, Rick is the is the uh, showrunner for this. So like him having to like make sure it's satisfying is kind of more his job. We're just going to do what yep. we do. I did scrap my secret ending idea. Oh, no. What was secret the secret ending? Secret ending? Did we have to idea? unlock Jesus that by getting 100% Rick. in the game? So here's what it is. This wasn't actually an idea. Here's what it is. 1,000 years later. Oh, Jesus. There are like four monolithic statues of the doorkeepers of the Duat. <laughs> and then some like pilgrims show up like, who were these great and powerful individuals? And then from around the ankles of the statues, you hear this voice. Show you want to know the story. And then Narmer comes out a thousand years later. It's a Futurama ending where essentially you could just restart it and it becomes an yep. endless loop. Yeah, yep, yeah. It becomes an endless loop. Turns out Sudi was his own grandfather. <laughs> anyway, that is not going to be the ending. No. But that would have been a fun one. It's true. So uh, some guy named Ross on the uh, Discord asks. Some Wait. Ross guy? Ross? <laughs> Ross. Mm. Who's Ross? I like, I like that Ross is cheating by slipping in here like, I'm a listener. <laughs> I mean, he <laughs> does listen. Fair, Ross does listen. So, hey, Ross. Nice nice to hear from you. Well, I guess we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, get ready for recording. Oh, Ross also <laughs> plays on the Discord. He would have had an answer for that. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. Ross writes in and asks, did any of you have characters you strongly considered playing instead of those that we all know and love? Any details of them you would like to share? Mm-hmm. Yep. I was yep. going to play a falconer ranger based on Oded Fair from The Mummy. Hey. And I was going to go living monolith. And then I decided not to do that. And then Jordan went living monolith instead. Yeah. Because I, I, I originally was going to go Magus into living monolith. Um, and then I think I changed to Monk. I don't remember why I changed to Monk. I think it's because I thought it would, it would go better. Hmm. I uh, was originally going to play a uh, blind oracle because Rogue One had just come out and I was mm. so enamored with Chirrut. Um, yes. He was just awesome. I mean, Donnie Yen, <laughs> he can't go wrong. Uh, and so I was like, I kind of wanted to recreate that awesome feeling that I got from watching the movie I'm into a character. The with me. Yeah, I, I have that yeah. on a shirt and I wear yep. it more often than I would like to admit. I think we had like two other people that were playing with the idea of doing an oracle and so I was like, ah, I'm not going to do that. And then Rick kept reminding us how much we needed trap finding mm. and trap spotting and all the trappiness. So I was You're like, welcome. Rogue. Yeah, yeah, go Rogue. Yep, yep. Heather? Oh no, I was settled on Uranus from the very beginning. 
And I liked him so much and hadn't even considered any other options that when he died, uh, I needed those three weeks that I did not play because Masiko was not finalized on a character sheet till about 10 minutes before I had to sit down and play her. <laughs> That's how difficult it was for me to come up with a second character. Wasn't Onyris originally going to be an oracle? Uh, I thought, I mean, I knew he was going to be a, a divine caster, but I mean, who he was as a character and his backstory, that was pretty much solidified from... I think, I think it was because I think Onuris was one of the two oracles that yeah. Rachel was like, I guess I won't play an oracle then. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not just you have to make a new character. You have to make a new character that fits seamlessly yeah. into the story and we could just like pick up and go with, you know, yeah. so like it's a, mm -hmm. it's a different challenge than like, hey, I'm thinking of playing some weird samurai that doesn't have anything to do with this story, but we're playing at home. So who cares? And the GM's just like, sweet, cool. Uh, you guys go to a prison and you find this guy, you know, like mm -hmm. one of those like nice, easy intros. Yeah. So I don't know if it actually applies for this, that I did change some something as far as I, I don't have, of course, a PC. However, reoccurring NPC Falto is uh, in book one set stated as uh, their leader Falto, true neutral male human rogue too. Oh. <laughs> huh. Nah. And again, I just kind of included him as a, as a throwaway character before he became more intrinsic to it. I was like, I'm playing him way too swashbucklery for a rogue. So swashbuckler it is. Nice. We also have a question from Biomechanimagical. <laughs> Love it. Who writes in and name. says, After playing and growing these characters over four years, are there any build choices that you would have changed in hindsight or done differently? I'm going to throw one out here. I really think that Sudi doesn't need the black cat ability that Jordan never remembers yep, to use. Yeah, because I literally never remember to use it. He doesn't have to remember. Uh, yeah, there's a yeah. lot of the, a lot of my abilities that I could just basically not have because uh, I never use them. Man, no, I'm pretty happy with Hollis's build. I've never been happier to play an abjurer my entire life than the last few episodes. Yeah. No, not for Masiko or Onuris. I'm actually pretty happy with, uh, with Citra. I liked the little kind of semi-magic track that she had going on i think it just kind of fit that is fun i know that there was a, a while with citra that we kept making jokes about you retraining and not having two up and fighting that was just because me as a person kept forgetting <laughs> to draw the second one because like my brain thinks i should just be able to whip them both out but apparently that's not a thing well i mean if you have two up and fighting you can draw both of them as part of a move action yeah i know but like i just yeah. I would always forget. I would always have like my one kukri, which you would have thought I played a campaign where I had two scimitars. You think I would have remembered because that's what I did forever, <laughs> but apparently not. My brain was As just a fighter. Like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been like seven years since then. Oh, has it really? I don't know. It's oh, been a while. Yes. It's it has been a, been a, it has a long, been a long time since that adventure. <laughs> yeah. Here's a deep cut that I can easily answer. And uh, <laughs> this, this will just be kind of a behind the scenes sort of thing. He's Zed Jim, writes and asks. Which episode had to be re-recorded? It's the one uh -huh. with the little figurines in like episode in like book it's, one. So there were two of them technically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. The first off was episode two. Yep. Yep. Because Jordan of didn't the hit podcast. Yes. Uh, yes. That was we were still adjusting to getting used to the recording equipment because we didn't have the habit, man. I'm a I need habits. I'm an ADD person. I live on habits. <laughs> Which we, we went back and re-recorded that for the for the audience's edification. I think that's part of the reason that episode three is one of our shortest episodes, like 50-something <laughs> minutes long, is because we had to real quick re-record episode two and then record episode three, which kind of cut in time. I think I, literally yeah. we got all the way through the episode or something, and then we and then I went I turned over to stop it, and I went, 
Oh, dang. Yeah. And we yep. went and had lunch and then sat down and re-recorded it and then had to record episode three because we yeah. were trying to get everything ready for the launch. It was a yeah. long day. Yeah, probably one of our <laughs> longest days. Continues to be a, a fun thing to make fun of Jordan for. Yeah. <laughs> Still hearing about it four years later, man. Uh, and we also had a technological failure somewhere in the Tefu arc. Uh, that we had some new equipment we were adjusting to, and we had to re-record. I think it was the episode where you guys found the like the evidence of whatever stuff up on the roof of the inn that you were staying in. I believe we had to re-record that whole episode. I didn't remember re-recording. I don't remember that. Yeah, yep. no, I vaguely, I vaguely remember we had some issue and had to re-record it. I don't remember where in Tefu it was. Yeah, I don't think it was a whole episode though, or something, because I don't remember. I believe it was an entire episode because I think we did the whole episode and then we had to redo the entire episode and then I changed a whole bunch of stuff and it somehow ended up being two episodes. And I don't know why, <laughs> but I think I just was trying to keep it fresh for you guys. So I changed up something. Huh. <laughs> so, yeah, we are we're unfortunately not uh, impervious to uh, to mistakes. That being said, I think we've gone over 100 episodes since then without any major issues. So knock on yeah. wood, son. Yeah. Right now. Say, you knock on that wood right now. There you go. As long as everybody's got their audacity going, we should be fine. It is one of the advantages to remote recording. We have gotten very, very lucky because I have had complete computer failures and somehow never lost audio. We've gotten very lucky with with all of these things just like sticking together because, yeah, I've had computers crash multiple times during recordings. And I think we've had power outages. We've had all kinds of stuff. So, yep. Again, on the technical side here, Dinev writes in and asks, about how many minutes are edited out per episode? Uh, the answer to that is somewhere usually in the neighborhood of 30 to 40. Yeah. It's a lot of us likes talking about nothing. It's not even necessarily a lot of that. It's a lot of, uh, you know, pregnant pauses or people looking up spells or people doing math. Or sometimes we have <laughs> like a rules question and we just go through it real quick, but it doesn't make it into the episode. Yeah. The one that I find the most reoccurrent at high level play is a, so I'm going to cast this spell. Okay. Wait, the spell doesn't work the way that I thought that the spell worked. Okay, mm-hmm. my entire plane is shot now. Yep. Okay, yep. now I'm going to cast a different spell. But then I have to move over here. What do you guys think I should do? <laughs> I think you should do this. Okay. <laughs> what if I move over here? You know what? I'm just going to delay. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then I go, please restate that for the microphone. I'm going to delay. <laughs> yeah, so there, it, there, there's probably more more times where we seem very decisive <laughs> where we've been like back and forth about some stuff before we like, you know, really set it up and did it. Oh, yeah. Citrus seems real decisive. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Fun, uh, fun anecdote, actually, pertaining towards uh, how many minutes are a lot of episodes. And uh, I know it created some concern. Uh, a scant five episodes ago, or I think seven episodes ago, or whatever it was, uh, episode 185, which was incredibly short. Uh, sorry, I think our second shortest episode we've ever done is because there was a 25 minute long conversation about what spells everyone was going to cast before you went and fought the tribeater uh. that was putting me to sleep editing it. So it all hit the editing room floor. I just went, okay. And then I could, because I was like, God, please, please pass Rick. Help me. Help me do something. And then I hear my voice come on. So what all are you casting? And then everyone went through it in one go. Jordan was literally going, uh, we've got some elemental gems in the treasure we could throw at them. Like, I'm like, Jesus Christ, we were guys. This, is, this is why we should never be given permission to prepare fully because we will over prepare. Absolutely. You know what, though? It served us well it because did serve us we didn't well. get eaten by dinosaurs. 
It's just not interesting to listen to. It's not interesting to listen to. <laughs> no, so it's, it's any time that we run into stuff like that. It's uh, Rachel and I, unfortunately, recently watched Birdemic. Oh, my God. Why? Uh, Why do you do that to yourself? <laughs> it was a riff tracks thing. We so it was like people were making fun of it. of it while you're watching it. Ross, ah. mm-hmm. Yeah. Russ loves those things. But anyway, Who's and they Ross? show everyone driving in and parking every single time that I'm like, every Why are you wasting 20 seconds single. of my life with every scene showing them park the car? It's important. That's basically what I trim. Like, I swear, that's like something they punish people who have to, like, do, uh, you know, if you get a ticket and you have to watch it. I, they have, Defensive they must driving. make them watch that now. Be like, if you get another ticket, you're going to have to watch Birdemic. Watch the people park for two hours. <laughs> yep. Uh, so this next one is kind of a, it's a, it's one part, one person's question, one part, someone else responding to it. So I'll go ahead and give it to you guys all at the same time. Uh, Dizzy Dwarf wrote in and said, uh, this late into the campaign, if you have a TPK, do you roll up new party or does the Forgotten Pharaoh just win? <laughs> to which uh, Biomechanimagical responded that I had said in an old after party that I consider bringing in the group's old legacy of fire characters to finish the adventure because they were high enough level. Ruby Prince. Yeah, we, we've already established <laughs> the B team, which is the Ruby Prince. Yeah, at <laughs> so this point, no. that actually makes the most sense with Mom and Offer <laughs> yeah. actually knowing what's going yeah. on. And yeah. the Ruby Prince is like 15th level. Passable, yeah. So it'd be mm. him and Mom and Afra, and I guess they'd grab two of the Risen Guard and just go take care of this BS. Oh man, Mom and Afra is also ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, she great. Yeah, I mean, we'd probably bring in a B team. Uh, honestly, I'd probably just go. I'd bring in a B team and have it be an extraordinarily short window, where it's like you guys get one go at this. Like you've got to yeah. jump in there. Hopefully, like the doorkeepers had already like broken into the last part of the dungeon or something like that. So it's like you've got one go. Like if you fail this again, then. Alternate universe, uh, find the path universe where Hakatep's uh, Pharaoh of Osiris. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I know. I like the idea of the forgot, uh, not the forgotten Pharaoh, of the Ruby Prince actually having to get up and take care of something in his it's own nation. It's true. It sounds very funny. He's like, <sighs> fine. He, he does the Thanos thing where he's like, fine. I'll do it myself. He yeah. does also have two younger siblings that are twins, so it could be him oh, and his true. siblings and Mom and Afra. Come on, we're going. Yeah, family affair. It's a weird family adventure. Yeah. His siblings are actually real cool. They're, uh, I think they are twins, and they routinely break out of the palace to go on adventures, like literal capital A adventures. Like yeah, and the Risen Guard has Syrian. to go hunt them down. There's like a, you know. So I think anyway. it'd be really fun. If we all die, we have a one shot of bananas. Yeah, now, Hopefully that being said, knock on wood, we have never had to institute B-team plans. No. We why why are we all them? putting that out in the universe? You need to knock on wood, Jordan. There we go. Done. So Thomas Slashbacks writes in and asks, did producing a podcast change the way you play at home? Uh, at play home. at home. What is, what is <laughs> Since we started the podcast, we, we don't play at home, and it's very sad. That's why I want us all, like, when, at some point, we need to take a break. We're going to go up to uh, Ancient Lore Village, and we're just going to rent out one of the cool Hobbit houses, and we're just going to have a week of finish playing. finish freaking Strange Aeons. Yes, I would love to finish Strange Aeons. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah. We're like in book four, guys. So I think producing a podcast changed the way we play at home by making it so we no longer have time to play at home. We don't play together. Yeah, at welcome home. to us playing at home. Y'all are hearing it right now. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's true. I would say the big the biggest thing <laughs> in terms of how it's it's affected how I play is I'm better describing stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm better at describing what I'm doing. Like from doing a purely auditory medium, you cannot just say, Yeah, I'm gonna move over there and I'm gonna hit that guy. You've got to be very descriptive. And so, like, I feel like I've gotten a lot more descriptive about, like, what I'm doing and where I'm moving to. Mm-hmm. And character voices. I didn't do those very much before. <laughs> yep. I did, but, you know, maybe I'm better at it now. I don't know. I hope I'm better at it. <laughs> RSG and HI slash uh, Roland from Daggermark 
writes in and says, do you think the fact that what you do is meant for consumption and possible critical review increased your concentration and the effort you put into your game? And did it increase your enjoyment of the journey? I think we kind of addressed that earlier when I said that everyone seems a lot more like focused when we actually yeah. sit down. Yeah, I think I focus a little bit more, but I always, as much effort as I put into on Eurus and Masika once I finally got her, I always did that with my other characters before anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that really honestly, like there is an element of you have to kind of turn it up a little bit when you're doing a production. I mean, I'll admit like even if I'm having like kind of an eh kind of day that I'll like, perk up because we're doing a production that maybe I wouldn't have done in like a personal game or anything like that. I would just be like, oh, I don't feel good today, man. Octavius is extra sick. I don't know, whatever. So there's that aspect of it. I wouldn't say we've even really changed anything because like we don't like, I mean, yeah. So like jokes that don't land hit the editing room floor, but like I still make them. <laughs> still make like, them. I still make terrible jokes all the time. That's my hallmark. Increase enjoyment. I don't think so, but it is interesting, especially when there's like a twist coming because, you know, we record ahead a little bit. And then we all just wait to see what people think about it. Yeah. There is that yeah. where we're, on release day, we do kind of like peek into the Discord or the subreddit and see if anybody is like reacting in Did any you way. See but... the thing that I saw. And sometimes people don't react to things that I thought they would react yeah, to. And then something that I thought was no big deal, people freak out about on the Discord. And I'm like, what? There have definitely been a couple of times where I'm like, oh, I'm going to get I'm going to get raked over the coals for something that I did in one of our adventures. And like, no, everybody's no, really chill. Yeah, I don't know if it's a, I wouldn't necessarily define this as enjoyment of the journey, but there's a certain level of immersion with Mummy's Mess that's happened for me more so than any other adventure path we've done, where because we're recording this and then I'm editing this and then I'm releasing this and then I'm hearing people talk about this, that there are sometimes like, like Neef back in Tefu. And, you know, they were kind of a one and done sort of showed up character and then suddenly took on this life of their own that I don't know if I would have remembered that character two years mm. down the line from there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's sometimes I have difficulty remembering like what my character's name was from a game that I played five years ago. But I can mm. remember like every single major event in Mummy's Mask because we've been so immersed in it, which has I think that does increase my enjoyment or at the very least increases my connection to the story. Hmm. I definitely think having the reaction from the fans increases my enjoyment. I think it's part of my love language. I like affirmations <laughs> and everything. So I, do, I do. I'm not going to lie. Like, I love it when we, and it doesn't even matter if it's good, bad, any sort of commentary. I mean, don't get me wrong. I prefer the good. But, like, getting that interaction <laughs> with the story, I think, motivates me to continue doing my best. I mean, I'm the type of person that does that kind of automatically but it does kind of bolster me it's kind of like yeah you know people are enjoying this and so I should keep going with it and and whatnot so sometimes when it's it's kind of like silent on the discord I'm like oh okay I gotta work even harder to make sure we get a reaction <laughs> I, I was gonna say I would yeah. say that's that's the big thing when we first started was like you know we started doing this and we were we were we were kind of our own biggest critics right like we're yeah. trying to get it better every time and Rick was constantly telling us stay on mic do this do that I threatened to tape Jordan to the microphone. Yes, because <laughs> yeah. I was notoriously off mic because ADD. Um, and I remember that, like, we got our first, like, we just got a package that showed up on our P.O. box. And we just got in the P.O. Mm-hmm. box just to kind of get one. And I remember, like, just being shocked, like, just yeah. shocked that anybody would, like, like our show enough to even send us anything. I don't even remember. It was Dice from Jay. He had sent you that what it was? Dice. He sent okay, everybody yeah. Dice. 
Yeah. yeah. Like it was kind of like a surreal moment for me. And it was like one of those things it's like, wow, people really like this. Cause like you don't write into a show unless you really like it or really hate it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it may have been Josh, not Jay. It's Josh a Jay. from LA. One of the Jays. I'd say like that, that is served as like some kind of like motivation to kind of go that extra mile. Yeah. Um, and on that, it because it is for other people's it, yeah. enjoyment. Like I enjoy playing the game, but I, I do try to do just that little bit extra because it's recorded and because there's fans out there that, you know, deserve everything that we can give them. Yeah. Hadrian writes in and says, what's your favorite character moment you've had? I really like Hollis's string board and the obsession with that riddle from the Sphinx. That was really fun for me. Okay. Hmm. Finding out Masika was related to Chisisek was pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Sudi Superman fighting Kabek. Probably oh, one cool. of my top moments. I think Citra finally getting to reunite with her brother was a big one for me. Oh, that was good. Because yeah. it was a long time coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. And I waited a long time for any sort of explanation for Citra's character in that moment was really good. And it's like, oh, there's this like glimmer of hope. And I like that. <laughs> I think getting to play just a sec for me. Yeah. There's something really <laughs> fun about characters that are just like quick that way. Yes. It's yeah. fun to play. Yeah, yeah. Dizzy Dwarf writes, this might be more one for Heather than anyone else. Mm. How do you think this story might have changed if Onurus was still in the party? Well, I mean, there wouldn't be Narmer. Oh, no. We wouldn't have <laughs> such a connection to Chisasek either. No. True. And there would have been a lot different reactions to some of the stuff we find out about Hakatep. Hmm. And then, you know, he was a lot more serious than Masika, so I'm sure some of the stuff that, you know, was kind of lighthearted wouldn't have been as lighthearted. Yeah. Also, Mama Nafra would have showed up again because he was going to start pursuing a romance with her, so we would have seen Mama Nafra again. Bow chicka wow wow. So. Which could have been fun because uh, I had a lot of fun playing Mama Nafra. Mama Nafra was a lot of fun. I did yeah. enjoy her in the Tefu arc. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kind of a follow up question from that from uh, Mirror the uh, Nocticulan Herald on our discord was uh what were some of the plans rick had for later books with on slash sagira that ended mm -hmm. up not happening uh, a lot of sagiras did because we did the the faded and then the fated yeah side stories in large part because of the pandemic honestly if the pandemic hadn't happened i don't know if those would have really been as much of a thing and that kind of tied back into sudi's backstory which was all eventually going to be a tie-in there mm -hmm. would we have gone to the black fane yes I was planning on the the group themselves going to the Black Fane instead of just having that be a side thing. Okay, because I had always I felt like we were headed that way. Yeah, and then we never went. And okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because it kind of got resolved in a separate story, and so I didn't want to revisit the same ground. Which is funny enough, actually, where uh, uh, there was a dragon fight in book four, book five, I think it's book four that I ended up cutting because it was uh, originally I cut it and I was going to add it into something with Sagira and them, and then I ended up cutting it for time there, and so it just hit the cutting room floor. And as far as Onuris is concerned, I mean, there would have been a number of tie-ins scattered We've fought here and there throughout. Yeah, I mean, the fact is you guys recently fought a Mothray, yep. and I would have probably included more pertaining towards the uh, the relationship between Hakatep and the Mothray family that eventually led to Hakatep's nephew marrying into the Mothrays and the genealogical line that eventually led down to Onuris. Yeah, there would have been a number of different things in there. So Hadrian also asks, has doing a successful podcast changed anything about your life outside of tabletop games? 
I have one example. Heather can technically uh, be part of this example as well. It was very interesting for the uh, the one PaizoCon we were able to go to between in the four years between the launch of the show actually launching, because I think the show was only two months old when we went to the PaizoCon in 2018. But the 2019 pa- PaizoCon and having people recognize me based on my voice. Mm-hmm. Hearing people talk about the podcast in the hallways uh, up at PaizoCon. That was curious. We got recognized at Scarborough. Oh, yeah. That actually, that was, Sith yeah, there's a Sith drummer recognized us at uh, when we were up at Scarborough. Yep. Which was a lot of fun. There's a Discord I go to now, and I knew nothing about Discord before. Yeah. But, I mean, I still work, and I mean, I have better equipment to do my video calls for work. <laughs> I mean, I've made a couple of friends through the podcast that I wouldn't have met before. True, but, true, mm-hmm. for sure. I yep. mean, that's probably the biggest difference is I've met some people that I probably would have never met if the podcast wasn't a thing. That's true. My parents listen. It's really cute. <laughs> Not to out Rachel, but uh, technically the the money that she got paid for doing the podcast, since we are <laughs> you know paid some oh, yeah. for doing this, did pay for her tattoo. Yeah, I did get a new <laughs> tattoo. I, it is in the Discord. I posted it on our tattoo channel. It is of my baby Ezio as his namesake Ezio. <laughs> it's an awesome tattoo. I love it so much. It's very good. Um, I, I would say for me... Not a lot has really materially changed. I'm still a giant nerd who works as a software engineer. The The thing that changed for me is like, you always have those team bonding things at work where they're like, hey, tell us something about you and like find them an interesting fact. And I'm like- Always have one. Yeah, always have one. Now when it's like, I'm, I do a podcast and people are like perk up and they're like, oh, what is it? And like, I've I've shown coworkers, uh, you know, pictures of Sudi <laughs> that I've got. I've done the voices for them. You know, people think it's really interesting to like be a, a guy who like does like kind of voice acting kind of sort of type stuff. So like, I feel like I actually have like an interesting fact about myself. Mm. You yeah. know, it's not it's not quite like, you know, I've run a marathon or anything, but, you know, it's pretty cool. We've also learned a lot of software. I know how to use Photoshop. I know <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Also, now we uh, know how Premier to use all the software. I know some light WordPress stuff. Mm. Actually, I, I have two that would apply to all of us. So uh, one, I never thought I'd be a shareholder in an LLC, which is just yeah. kind of cool. I never thought I would be. Uh, and two, I never thought I'd have a closet full of t-shirts for my own brand. That's <laughs> yeah, true. That part's that so is weird. Cool. Yeah, no, we've got yeah. merch like out the wazoo for, for the various things we've ordered over the years. I like I'm repping the pod as we stuff. speak. It's pretty I cool. was going to say, yeah, like, like Jess did our original logo. And some of the iterations yep. since then, like the Tri logo and stuff, that that was like uh, Jess, who had not really done any graphic design, I think, before, like seriously nope. done graphic design. Absolutely not. Yeah, did a lot of the you did a lot of the setup for our website too, because I was just mm-hmm. like, eh, WordPress and burned out. We learned a lot of things, a lot of weird community building through Discord, Discord bots, um, figuring out how to like set up a Twitch stream. How to write press yeah. releases for when we when we got partnered with Paizo. Yeah, and do there a press a kit. Yeah. We have another comment here from Louis or Louis or Luis. I'm not positive which one. Who writes in and says, What are you most looking forward to doing with the podcast in the coming weeks slash months slash years? Finishing this adventure path. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I'd say just like getting to expand on the characters and stuff like I always love the the cool reveals that we get throughout the show because Rick's really good about weaving them into the story and then you know sometimes even I'm surprised (laughs) true it's cool to be surprised by your own backstory stuff it's not really backstory (laughs) but stuff that's related to 160 episodes of waiting (laughs) yeah I'd say like the it's always really exciting to see like people join and like 
they tell us like, oh yeah, I've binged this and everything. And so I'm really curious, like we've kind of like struck gold might be the term for like with Mummy's Mask, like people really resonated with it, like, you know, picked up on it. And over the years, you know, we've grown. And as we get into doing like our second show, do we capture the same magic? You know, like how do you, do do we manage to do it twice or, you know, however, because we've had like not as many people listening to Tyrant's Grass because it's behind a Patreon and, and Hell's Rebels because it's a newer show. But like, I'm curious if like, Everybody goes, well, they finished that later. Or if they, if people <laughs> go, oh man, this new show is even better than the last one. Or it's, mm. you know, the, the same, like, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious to see what people's reactions to whatever we do next is. Yeah. Launching the, the show that's going to follow Mummy's Mask. I have a lot of ideas for a lot of more, I guess for like a better term, experimental things that I want to do with it. And so trying out some new text, trying out some new different storytelling styles with it. I've got a couple of fun, interesting ideas that I think will be uh, intriguing going forward and approaching it from a, I approached Mummy's Mask very much in the in the process of running a game and recording it. And this one I'm approaching much more, especially from the character creation side of it in fully immersing the characters in the setting. So uh, taking, uh, taking some lessons from what we learned from Tyrant's Grasp and Hell's Rebels and, and taking it even a step further past that. So Caffeine Now writes in, what was your favorite holy swing that actually worked moment of the podcast so far? <laughs> I know that we've done some crazy stuff, we've but done I can't some remember any stuff. of it. Isn't that weird? The one that immediately springs to mind for me was uh, uh, Citra, I think, down in the single digits and Narmer killing the thing at trying to kill her. Oh, yeah. That, that one springs funny. to mind immediately. Of Yeah. Yeah, it does have an acid vulnerability, and it is also down in the single digits. So sure, Narmer can spit an acid glob on it from across the room and save Citra's life. Yep, that one was pretty Why good. <laughs> oh, that Siphon Might spell that I put on myself and gave all of the strength to Sudi. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, back in book four? I don't know. We were in yeah, the it was back Sphinx. in book four when we were in the Sightless Sphinx. Because I just remember thinking, it doesn't say I can't cast it on myself. And then I could, and it was awesome. So that was kind of neat. I'm sure there were a thousand other better things that people are screaming into the void right now. But yeah, uh, that was I mean, a there, fun There's thing. times where I can't believe we survived some of the stuff that we did. Like, I thought, what was it? Uh, Masika and Citra rode the pyramid down over Wati. I thought for oh, sure yeah. you guys were gone. Oh, Masika yeah. running through the sightless sphinx. Because Sudi was freaking insane. Oh, right. that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that you guys managed to yeah. subdue him. Uh, Masika and Hollis having to talk to the like the Sphinx lady herself and be like, "We'll leave. Our friends are unconscious. Please don't hit us. We're squishy. Well, I'm squishy." But Citra wasn't unconscious. She had an intelligence of like yeah. three. Citra was so silly. <laughs> Citra friend. Citra friend. <laughs> Oh, man. We had to trap Sudi in the room and then get him in a bag. And I running through that whole thing with sugar. It was, yeah. When that Shaitan whapped sugar, I thought I was oh. going to die. I will say, book, book five, me and sugar running through that oh, uh, so that funny. pyramid thing as it was like slowly raising yeah. up the stone block. I cannot believe I made the save for that. Yeah. I thought I was going to get squished for sure. I was like, just Sudi don't squish my chicken. Too dumb to actually was li- Yeah, because I was literally. And I knew it wouldn't be because I died that it would have been bad. It'd be because I killed sugar that like everybody would have hated me. <laughs> <laughs> that is her baby. Yeah. Her 65 year old chicken. Yeah, so that was yeah. one of the. the 
crazier things. I mean, we d we did just talk about uh the fight against uh Sensor at the Tribeater. Like, I actually thought we were gonna get wrecked on that fight, so the fact that we didn't get wrecked was kind of surprising. Yes. Ooh, so ooh. also when we got teleported away in book two. Oh, and we had to run. And we had to do that giant running scene where like it was Sagira and Sudi oh, running for yeah. the lives. I thought at least one person was gonna it was die. It's like the whole front line got like shunted. Yeah, because I stuff. thought yeah. for sure like by then it was gonna be like, oh, we're done. Um, yep. So I, th I thought for sure we were gonna <laughs> lose somebody there. So I can't believe we survived that. Yeah, two quick easy ones here. And then I, I've got one final one after that. Dizzy Dwarf asks once again, when is the animated series coming out? When somebody volunteers to make it. I was going to say, when somebody who knows how to draw an anime can, like, help <laughs> us out with that. <laughs> so currently there are no plans for the animated series, although I do think it would be very enjoyable. I mean, I'd voice act it. I would not. <laughs> I would be a professional to voice act it. Fine, I'll do on Yuris' voice, too. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> the voice of uh, the narrator will be played by, I don't know, Nolan North. Ron Howard. <laughs> Ron Howard? I don't know. The voice of the narrator is forever and always Morgan Freeman. I don't know what y'all are talking about. but I, I mean, if we can pull Morgan Freeman, Freeman into this project, I think we've we made We might be able to pull Ryan Reynolds. Ooh. That's yeah, as long as he's allowed to make sassy comments the whole time. I mean, of course. Yes, of course. Yes. Like, That's why Ponto. we want him. Barring that, just because he makes me laugh, and also I know he's a huge nerd, uh, I'd be fine if my role was played by Stephen Colbert. <laughs> oh, nice. Anyway. Steven, if you're listening, call us. I'll reach out. McNuggets <laughs> also writes in, uh, when will Disney pick up the adventure of the adventures of Narmer and Sugar and occasional guest spots for Unhurt? Oh, uh, man. I don't somebody's know. Somebody's got an in with Disney we don't know about. Y'all need to be sharing that information. Or Cartoon Network or, you know, anybody. Mm -hmm. I think Pixar could make a pretty good uh, mechanical catfish. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, for sure. So, uh, so one final question here from friend of the pod, Good Couch, aka Sarah, writes in and says, when did you all first start feeling like you were hitting the big leagues in the actual play space? When people decided to give us money. <laughs> yeah. It's one thing to just listen to something that somebody produces, but when you actually put your money behind it, that feels like wild. a whole different level wild. I think when people started commenting on like Reddit pages and stuff that I was like, oh, people there are enough people listening to us to merit a whole page mm. okay <laughs> when jay reached out to us to set up a subreddit page for us was pretty great yeah, yeah. when we got our first article of press that was oh yeah, yeah, nerds yeah. On Earth. that was pretty nerds cool on Earth. um when Ner yeah, nerds on guys. earth wrote an article about us yep back in our first year i think yeah clave's a mensch and uh yeah thanks clave uh and it was it was the weirdest thing to read somebody else writing about our work. And like, that's one of those, like you made it kind of things in like startups and stuff is like, you got press, you know? I think, I guess a bit more on the technical side for me. I think it was the first time we, I think it's when we broke a hundred thousand total show listens, hmm. uh, which was in our first year that I went, oh, wow, this is, this is going somewhere. And here we are four years later, pull it up here. Uh, here we are four years later, and we are just about to pass 1.3 million. Wow. Wow. It's pretty Jeez. cool. 
Yeah, there's a lot of people who listen you to like Don't think about you it. You really Don't like think about it. Just I'm keep just doing what you're doing. I'm going to go lie down for a minute, y'all. <laughs> She's fainting. She needs a fainting couch. <laughs> I do declare. Mikey, quick. And tomorrow I will block this all out of my brain and be like, yeah, like 100 people listen. Because yeah. that's how I rationalize it, I think. With that, that's how I don't let the whole holy crap we If you ever like, wonder why successful. we don't act like divas, it's because we all kind of forget that we have this many fans. Otherwise, I would be so freaking nervous and in my head and Anytime we sat down to record, I have to think we're like, I can't, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) So guys, um, well, first off to all of our listeners out there, thank you all for listening. And uh, secondly, for, uh, for the four wonderful people that I have engaged in this journey with so far, thank you all for coming along with me. Like we said, it was all his idea. It's it's all my fault. (laughs) Yeah, been a blast so far. And uh, by this time next year, when we're celebrating five years of the podcast, it won't even be the story anymore. That's true. Oh, it's going to be a whole new story. We're going to have entirely new things to talk about. Yeah, we hope you guys are still with us then and joining us at our table. And of course, it goes without saying this in large part also thanks to all of our patrons. Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone who supports us financially is really, they're the ones able to uh, to help us expand to this point, but also to help pay for Rachel's tattoos and uh, the various equipment stuff that we need. <laughs> Hashtag give Rachel her husband back also. Yeah, so close to a weekly tyrant's grasp. <laughs> yeah, weekly tyrant's grasp and Rachel gets her husband back. Yep. Uh, expect the new Patreon stretch goal of uh, get Rachel a new tattoo. I thought it the stretch goal after getting tyrant's grasp to weekly was Ross has to quit his job. No, no, it's oh, yeah. Hell's Rebels Weekly, then Ross quits his job. Okay. Then Rachel tattoo, <laughs> I guess. Patreon stretch goal, we all get matching tattoos. <laughs> so so stay tuned for our future goals. <laughs> thank the four of you for joining in this journey, and thank you to all of our listeners who have joined in our adventure and will continue to do so. That's yeah. why. Yeah, check back with us next week as we continue our exploration of the Pyramid of the Sky Pharaoh and see whether or not uh, the doorkeepers can avoid the TPK or we have to use a B team <laughs> until next time. Good luck. Pathfinders. Bye. Bye. Bye I definitely I want to play so Ruby much anxiety. Prince. Don't think about it too much, Heather. Now she's just going to think about it. No, now she's just <laughs> going to think about it. Absolutely. She's gone quiet. Y'all she's got catatonic. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.